0: Iona, Jerusalem, places in Italy and in Spain. Each of these have been referred to as thin places. Peter Gomes, the theologian at Harvard, describes a thin place as the spot where the invisible world and the visible world come together. You can't tell the difference between the two. Maybe you have a place where you know the wonder of God. A mountain, perhaps, or a river, or a body of water, these have often been experienced as thin places. Peter Gomes goes on to say, a thin place might also be a part of the journey of the heart, brought about through suffering or sorrow, even joy. A thin place is when the veneer of life breaks open, slides away, and the wonder and the mystery of God comes in, and the difference between what is and what isn't evaporates, and all is made known in God. This is what we read about in the gospel lesson today. The glory of God made known and experienced on that mountaintop, Peter and James and John are experiencing a thin place. They went up to the mountain with Jesus. Who knows what they thought to expect? We have no indication from the scriptures that they were expecting anything. But something happened up there. Something where the words are the best words to describe it is that a cloud came down and that Jesus was glowing, and there were two people with him. It must be Moses, the father of Israel, and Elijah, the great prophet. That must be who it is. They know who Jesus is by this experience, and they don't want to leave it. They have been transformed through the wonder of what they have witnessed, and they really want to stay there. Maybe that brings to your mind a thin place in your life. A place where you have known God's goodness, glory, and holiness in a way that is so intimate that you don't want to leave that spot. And therein lies the underside, if you will, to such a glorious experience. Encountering God in such a real and profound and transformational way can sometimes make us hesitant to move beyond it. I know this from talking with many people who have had a profound experience in their life of God coming close and making himself known to them in a way they never expected. It changed them. And they're afraid to move beyond it because they don't want to miss, they don't want to lose that feeling. Peter, James, and John feel the same way. They don't want to go down off the mountain. They want to stay here, build three dwellings, so that they can stay in the moment of God's glory and know it deeply. But they are forced into the reality of the daily life because transformational experiences draw us back into the daily life where God's glory can be made known. Kenneth Leach, the late Kenneth Leach, spoke of this in his little book that I brought with me today called True Prayer. Of what it means to have a transformational experience. Kenneth Leach was an Anglican priest. He served in the East End of London among the poor and the uneducated. And he wrote many books about the religious life and was convinced that to have an emotional and transformational experience draws us back into the incarnation, to what it is God has made and created. It calls us into the reality so that God's transformational work can be made known there. I want to share with you just a couple of words or lines from his book. Through the incarnation, he says, God has become close to us. And this closeness is not simply spiritual. Indeed, the human and the divine are all mixed up together, as the leaven of the kingdom is mixed with the lump of human dough. Grace has only the raw material of our imperfect nature to work with. He goes on to say, the Christian, therefore, is essentially a materialist, and spirituality has a materialistic basis. Our spiritual life arises from our human life, for it is whole human persons who are made in God's image. And it is the whole of human nature which God has taken to himself. It is totally wrong, then, to see spirituality as a way of opting out of the human struggle. Worship and the respect for the material order are inseparable. This is what we see in the gospel story. The disciples have felt and experienced Who Jesus is, it has changed them, and they want to stay there. But no, they are told to go in, down, off the mountain, into the daily life and the struggles that they witness there. They are not prepared to realize God's glory in the world. And so we hear Jesus call them a faithless and perverse generation They don't believe that God can change the world just as they witnessed on that mountain. They don't realize that the good news that they have experienced in Jesus is actually for the world, to change the world. And so Jesus demonstrates it right there with this father who has his son, his only child, asking for healing and wholeness. Everyone sees the glory of God by Jesus's actions those thin places in our lives reveal to us God's glory God's ability to transform not only us but the world I had such an experience when I went on the pilgrimage to the Holy Land a couple of years ago It was the fall of 2014 Many of you know that I got to go on that trip, and it was a wonderful gift, and people told me it would change me, and I thought, okay, but not really knowing or anticipating in what ways. One of the first times that something happened for and to and with me was in the cathedral of St. George. The diocesan cathedral is in East Jerusalem, and it looks like you would expect a cathedral to look. We were staying in the guest house of the cathedral, and so in the evening, I decided to head over to the chapel to say evening prayer with whoever was there. It's a wonderful gift of our Anglican communion to be able to enter a worship space and know that whoever you find there knows the words you know. And indeed, that was the the event for me, to arrive in the chapel and to find other pilgrims, not even on my trip, but people who were passing through, coming together for evening prayer, We opened up our books of common prayer and began to say the prayers together. We got to the point of the Magnificat where we all stand and say the Song of Mary as every evening prayer includes. And I said those words, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And all of a sudden I realized this was the earth that Mary stood on. This part of the world, this dirt, this air was the air she breathed. When it was this time in the year and the sun was in this position and the moon was in this position, this is what it looked like. When things were in full blossom and were ready for harvest, these are the plants that she would have seen. And time collapsed in on itself. And I was in the same place as Mary, saying the words that were hers. Perhaps you remember a little further into the Magnificat. When she goes on to say, he has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their seats and he has lifted up the lowly. He has fed the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary's song of praise, the glory that she knew as one who had discovered that God had trusted her to carry the good news into the world. Her song reminds us that God comes into the here and the now, in the realities of our life. Transforms the real stuff, the material stuff the stuff we know and we see and we engage, that the meditation of Mary turns into a transformation and action in the world. When Peter and James and John were on that mountain and discovered Jesus in a whole new way, they were charged to go into the world to share that good news. It was a very simple instruction God breaks into their imaginations and says to them, this is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. To listen is to obey. They are given a very simple instruction. Listen to him. That instruction is given to us as well. When we see the glory of God, it is meant to be given to us so that we can carry it into the world. The instruction to those disciples is the instruction to us. This is my son. Listen to him. Amen.